Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, Scott, Gerilyn, Abraham, thank you so much. Jill, thank you for emceeing for us this morning. It's really good to hear what members of our church body, uh, those we worship with every Sunday morning, are doing during the week to, to reach out to the community. So uh, my name is Chris Moore. I'm the Family Ministries Director here at LBC. And for the last 20 minutes or so, we're going to be in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. John 3. 16 through 21. And as you are turning, I'm going to pray. I'm going to jump in. Father, thank you for this morning and the amazing privilege and honor it is to uh, open your word, to hear from you. God, to see your, your amazingness, your holiness, and your glory. God, I pray as we uh, open up John chapter 3 and, and we see the ministry of Jesus, that it would motivate us to be about the mission that you have for us as a church. And God, that we would be motivated knowing that God, you are a God who pursues the lost because you love the world as we see in John three sixteen. And Lord, I pray that you would just motivate us, give us direction in that. And I, God, I also ask that uh, Holy Spirit, would you open up our, our, our eyes and our hearts to see and hear your word and to, to obey it and take action and reminded that Holy Spirit, you are the one that gives us the courage and you're the one that softens hearts and opens up eyes to hear and respond to the gospel. And Lord, I pray it would be your words and not mine, Lord. God, may you have your way with all of us today. May you get all the glory and praise and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so when thinking about Reach Bakersfield and the idea of reaching our community for, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I was reminded of two C's that are in near Israel. One is the Sea of the Sea of Galilee, and the other is the Dead Sea. And there's one similarity between these two seas, and one is they both are receiving fresh water. So the Sea of Galilee has an inlet north of the, of the sea, fresh water coming in, and it has fresh water going out that feeds the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee is is alive, it's flourishing. And this is the sea where Jesus calls James, John, Peter, and Andrew from their fishing boats. And he tells them, come follow me. It's a vibrant sea uh, that produces a lot for Israel. And then we have the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is exactly that. It is dead. It is called the Dead Sea because there's nothing alive in the sea. The salt content is so high that it cannot sustain life. And in fact, if you were to go near the lake and, you know, there's, a, there's an area of land around the lake, around the perimeter that does not sustain life because of the salt. And so why is it that one lake is so vibrant and full of life and the one next to it or below it and actually feeding into the next one, why is that one dead? There's one simple reason. The Dead Sea has no outlet. It receives lots of good minerals Lots of amazing fresh water, but it doesn't have anywhere to go. So the water sits, it evaporates, and it just collects, and it adds more salt content. And so as a church, we are, we are like these two seas. We can either be like the Sea of Galilee, or we'll be like the Dead Sea. And I, I've been going through seminary the last three years, and there's, there's three kind of identifiers of a healthy church. A healthy church is going to be one that looks upward, right? So it's about worshiping the Lord. It's about feasting on sound doctrine and, his, and God's word and, and responding in worship. 
And then it looks inward, so it, it, it supports one another. We, we, we love one another, and we help each other grow in maturity in Christ. And the last piece is the healthy church looks outward. It reaches out in the heart of God. And we're going to find in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21, we're going to see God's heart. We're going to see how Jesus conducted his ministry. And us as a church need to follow that pattern. So we're going to observe why Jesus was sent. We're going to observe how Jesus was sent, the nature in which he carried himself. And then we're going to see where Jesus was sent. And we need to follow that pattern as a church for us to be like the Sea of Galilee. So John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21, we're going to read that. And then we're going to unpack it a little bit. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The first observation about Jesus' ministry is we understand why he was sent. We see that in verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Verse 17, for God did not send his son. We see that God pursues the lost. God is a giving and sending God. If you think back, if you think back through the entire Old Testament, that's what he's been doing throughout human history. You think about guys like Noah, Moses, Abraham. We think about all the, the prophets and the judges. God was gifting and sending these people to draw the people back to him. God has always been about a rescue mission. And that culminated in Christ who came and paid the penalty for our sin, that atones for our sins so that when we believe in Jesus, we have eternal life. So God has always been about sending people to the people. And we have to see that God's heart is to pursue the lost because he loves. We see in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's desire that we would be reconciled to him we have a relationship with him where we can enjoy him for all eternity. This is why he sent Jesus. And as he sent Jesus, he sends the church. The next observation is we see the nature and how Jesus was sent. We see that in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to what? He did not send him to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. When we think about the idea of condemnation, Simply think about it as sentencing. So if you imagine you are in a court standing before a judge in which you are guilty, once the judge hits the gavel on the desk and he sentences you to your sentence, it's set, it's done, it can't be changed. And what this is saying is that 
Jesus's first coming was not an opportunity for him to sentence us. It was an opportunity for us to, to be saved. He came to rescue us from the condemnation. And there will be a time when Jesus comes and he judges and we are, our eternal destinies will be set, but that is not this time right now. He came not to condemn, but to save. And sometimes I think as a church, we might look at the world with a heart of condemnation. And this is something I have wrestled with. I love living in the United States. I love being an American. And I'm sure many of you feel the same way. And, and we look at the world and it's, it's increasingly and rapidly growing more secular. And there's this wrestling in this war of like, I want to hold on to this amazing thing that we have in the United States. And at the same time, as a Christian, I'm called to share the gospel. And what I'm also reminded is that if we look throughout church history, when the world became more secular, that's when the church came alive. That's when the church flourished. That's when the church got innovated and realized, how am I going to reach these people that are lost? And everything in the world is pointing against the Lord. And so sometimes we can make excuses and we cannot do the, the task. And there's some couple excuses that I think we make. And when I say these excuses, know that I've wrestled with these myself. I've made these excuses. One is, when we think about evangelism and reaching the lost world, we might ask the question or say, well, isn't that the pastor's job? Isn't that what those guys get paid to do, to evangelize? Ephesians chapter 4 corrects that thinking. Chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, Apostle Paul says, Jesus, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so God has gifted people to equip the saints to do the work. So I think about someone who might be gifted in evangelism. They're not there to do the whole work. They're there to teach me how to do it. <laughs> I don't think that's my gift but they're to equip the rest of us to be able to do that. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are all ministers. If Jesus is Lord, you are a minister of the gospel. Verses 18 through 20 in chapter 5, and I'm just going to paraphrase, but we see that he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and then entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We are all ministers, and we're all commanded to go. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, you've probably heard this passage a lot. It's the Great Commission. Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Discipleship implies evangelism baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So pastor's job is there to equip the church. They are to do the work too, but they're to equip the church to do the work. Another excuse we might have is we might say we're not gifted for that. And hopefully Ephesians 4 answers that. If you don't feel gifted, you don't feel prepared and equipped, get equipped and prepared. And we'll talk about how we'll do that later. And the other last one is that we don't have time. And I'm reminded of a statistic I just read recently in school. 
And it says 75 to 90% of people come to Christ or they're invited to church where they eventually come to Christ because of relationships. It was somebody who took the time to invest in somebody else and welcome them into the kingdom of God. And I think about that in my own testimony. I came to the Lord when I was 18, and it was the faithfulness of some of my junior high and high school friends who didn't give up telling me about Jesus. And I remember one conversation walking home from school. It was my friend Laura, and she's telling me about Jesus. And I said, don't ever throw in some not-so-kind words. Tell me about Jesus again. I don't want to hear it. I'm not interested. I'm a nice guy. I don't need Jesus. And it was three years later, I'm sobbing on it in a church pew, <laughs> believing in Jesus. But she didn't give up on me, and neither did a handful of other people. But they took the time to tell me about Christ. And for many of you, that was probably the same. And so, the third observation we make in this passage is we understand where Jesus was sent. Verses 19 through 21, we see that Jesus was sent to the darkness. And we see that in the darkness, the darkness will reject the light. People rejected Christ. There was conflict. People were appalled. They were repelled from Christ. But there were also people who responded and followed. And like Jesus, he sends the church into the darkness, and people will respond and react in the same way. Reminded of Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, He, God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So it's the idea that Jesus rescues us from the darkness, and then he sends us back in to participate with him in this rescue mission. And I'm reminded of Luke chapter 10. And Jesus tells the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Reminder that Jesus went into the darkness where there's a ripe harvest ready to be harvested. And that's where he sends his church in the very same place that he went himself. So we might say, well, that was, that was when Jesus, you know, that's the first century, you know, things have changed. Uh, isn't the world more secular? Aren't people more closed off to, to Jesus and the gospel? Well, according to Barna, just a recent study in this last year, it says 44% of Americans, hear this, are more open to God today than before the pandemic. 44% is a big number. The harvest is plentiful and ripe and ready for laborers to go into the harvest. And so Jesus reminds us that the church is being sent to where he was sent. John 20, 21. Jesus said to them, he's speaking to the disciples and this applies to us today. He says, peace be with you. I love how he starts it with that. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And so we go with the understanding that God has a heart for the lost. And then we go with a heart that's not there to condemn, but we're there to rescue. And we go into the darkness, the exact same place where Jesus went to rescue us. That is the nature of 
the outward view of the church. And so now we understand the motive. We understand the heart, God's heart for the lost. And now I want you to, to walk away with four practical ways that you can do this right now and wherever God has planted you. And what I would like you to do as your Bibles are open, find an, an empty, you probably have a couple pages in the front or in the back where they're, you can take notes or, or write some things. I want you to write the names of one or two people that you know right now in your life that you interact with that don't know Christ. Write their names down. And just write down the first two names that come to mind. And then the next thing I would like you to do is beneath those names, I want you to write four words. I want you to write pray, walk, hear, and talk. Pray, walk, hear, and talk. And we're going to unpack what those mean. But this is how we are to be ministers of the gospel in this world. The first is to pray. And if you heard from all of our ministry partners um, and our global ministry partners that were on stage today, the, the primary thing they were asking for was prayer. We recognize that we can't do anything outside of prayer. We need God's guidance and wisdom, his boldness and courage to do this. But we pray. We pray for laborers that we heard. We pray for the hearts of those that we are going to be reaching out to, that God would open up their eyes to see, just as he did to Peter. Peter's eyes had to be opened to see the truth. We pray for boldness. The Apostle Paul, who I consider, he's, he's the missionary superhero. He planted churches all throughout Rome. In Ephesians 6, 19 through 20, he tells the church in Ephesus, pray for me that I may be bold, that I may declare the word boldly. Of any guy that I didn't think that need boldness, it would be him, but he needed courage. So we pray. Next, we walk. Colossians 1.10 says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then Matthew 5.16, Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to who? To your Father who is in heaven. So there's this idea of when we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that people are going to be attracted to us and they want to know what's different about us. And we walk to earn the right to be able to eventually speak into their lives. Ultimately, God gets the glory. But we want to represent him well in how we live. The next thing we do is we hear. And if you look throughout the Gospels, Jesus says this phrase constantly. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. And he's telling his listeners, are you listening to me? Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying to the point where you're willing to take action about what I'm telling you and what I'm sharing with you? And when I think about when Jesus is saying that, I think about my interactions with those who don't know Christ. And it could be in the workplace. It could be our neighbors. It could be out in the community. It's this idea of building a relationship with somebody and truly listening to them. Do I understand them? Do I understand their needs? Do I understand their concerns? Have I built a close enough relationship where they trust me and I have earned the right to be able to share the gospel in their lives? Do we hear our neighbors? And lastly, hopefully that leads to the opportunity to be able to talk and verbally use words to share the gospel. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, 
and always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you, that you do that with gentleness and respect. And we're always ready. Romans 10, 14 through 16. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And church, that's us. We're the ministers of reconciliation there to preach the good news. In order for someone to respond in faith, they have to hear the message. So ultimately, our relationships have to lead to us having conversations and sharing the truth of Christ. And so my thought is, I'm not asking you to add something to your plate. What I think Scripture's clear on is in our going, in Matthew 28, is wherever God has planted us, we have to be about the Lord's business. I think about when we're in our homes. Parents, our primary responsibility with those kids is helping them learn to understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ. We're constantly sharing the gospel in the home. We're constantly helping them see the truth of the gospel and helping them come to faith in Christ. And I think about in our home, that's also a great opportunity to show them how to do evangelism. So we think about the Tuesday night ministry. Gerilyn shared about the international students. These are opportunities as a family to be able to serve and demonstrate and show how we show love to those in our community. I think about being in the workplace. Uh, Before I came to work here at the church, I worked for Chevron for 12 years. And six of those years were spent in Taft. So 45-minute commute in a van with a bunch of other dudes, right? 45 minutes back. It was a 12-hour day. I probably spent more time with those guys than I did at home. But it was those conversations that would happen in the van where we're just hanging out that were really cool and opportunities that happened to share the gospel. But I asked the question, do the people in the cube next to you, do they know Christ? The guys on the van pool. And if they don't, make that be the people that you're praying for. Do you know your neighbors across the street, around the corner? Our community joining some of these ministries and being able to participate as a family. And I think about globally, And sometimes we get this idea that it's local and global, it's one or the other, but it's not. It's all one. God sends us everywhere. Those are the ways that we do this. And so as we kind of finalize this, we think about Reach Bakersfield and we want to be on mission for the Lord here in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our town. And I know I've given you a lot of tasks and It may feel rough, this message that we receive, but I want us to walk away remembering why we do this. Remember that God came on a rescue mission for me and he came on a rescue mission for you. And he did that because he wants us to have a relationship with him, to be reconciled with him, to be able to spend all eternity with him where we can worship him and give him glory. God and his amazing God who is there to rescue is because he loves us. That is our motivation. It's an act of worship when we serve alongside him and he allow, we're allowed, being allowed to be used by him. And so I hope that that excites you to be a part of God's ministry to the world. And so one last question for us. So when you think about the seas, the tale of the two seas, 
Are you a Sea of Galilee Christian or are you a Dead Sea Christian? A Sea of Galilee Christian is too preoccupied with God's work, too preoccupied with seeing the amazing things he's doing through us in the world to be concerned about petty things sometimes that as a church we can get petty about. We want to be a Sea of Galilee church because God is worth it. He's got to put us on a great mission as a church to do that with him. Two more things I want you to encourage you with as we wrap up. One is is if you don't feel like you're equipped and you're prepared to to be able to evangelize and share the gospel, join the Impact Conference on March 18th. Um, There's a booth out in the courtyard with Pastor Andy. Please sign up. Come join us. It'll be four hours. It's going to be really practical. You'll hear like 15-minute little snippets of how to do it, and then we're going to put you in groups and let you practice. Uh, And then lastly, please go visit the ministry booths. Hear from our ministry partners. Hear about all the amazing things God is doing and through the lives of the people that are willing to go out. And if you're able, partner with them, please. And so let's give God glory as we we worship. I'm going to pray to close off. And um, God is good and we're thankful for him and his heart to rescue lost sinners. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning and this opportunity. God, I'm just blown away by the fact that you sent your son to the world, to the darkness, to rescue those who were lost. God, I'm reminded of all the ways that you use people to just connect with me and to point people point me to you. And if all of us are, are thinking back, we can think about people that were, that were intentional in our lives to share the truth about you to us. God, thank you that you do that. Thank you that you are a good, loving, sending, giving God. God, may we honor you and praise you in music and song. May we honor and praise you with our lives that we would be willing vessels for you, Lord. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.